for all will be reading out of Psalm 88 this morning. You can follow along in the bulletin or in your Bibles. And as we're prepping for this, I mean, if you haven't noticed by now from the theme of the service thus far, I mean, this is pretty heavy, right? Um, and Charles, we're speaking right before services, said, uh, said, this might be one of the most depressing passages in all of Scripture. Because it, it ends with no resolution. I said, that's how you should end your sermon. And we start laughing like, no, because there's always resolution in Jesus. Read along and experientially pray along with me. Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like those who let loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me, You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do your work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in abandon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord for God's people. Good morning, everyone. Happy to see everybody back from the fourth holiday. Hope you guys had a good time. Um, I'm Charles McKnight, pastoral assistant here at Christ Central Church. And I'm excited and grateful to have the opportunity to uh, give Pastor Howard a break from his regular preaching duties. um, And to have, amen. (laughs) And to have the opportunity to bring you all God's word. And this morning, we're also going to take a break from our regular sermon series in the book of John to make a short visit to the book of Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of songs and poems found in the Old Testament. And it's been said that this book, the book of Psalms, provides us with an anatomy of the human soul. Because it, above all books, most comprehensively reflects the depth and the breadth of our human experiences and our emotions. 
In other words, the book of Psalms is like a mirror for our souls. This morning before I left the house, I took a look at my outward appearance in a mirror to make sure I was presentable enough to stand up here this morning. And the Psalms are like that. They're like a mirror reflecting and bringing us into an awareness of both the highest joys and the lowest, deepest sorrows of life. In Psalm 88, our psalm for this morning is such a psalm, a psalm that brings us into the depths of human misery. And this psalm and psalms like it are known as psalms of lament. And this psalm of lament, the writer, poet, musician, psalmist, is crying out to God in the midst of suffering and darkness. And not only is this a psalm of lament, but it is arguably, as Dee and I were talking about earlier, the darkest dark psalm. Because unlike most laments, there is no happy ending. The psalm ends without resolution. It ends literally with the word darkness. Psalm 88 is not just a regular sad psalm, but the saddest of sad psalms. Sad like Billie Holiday's Gloomy Sunday. Sad like the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby. Or R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts or Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart or Eminem's Rock Bottom. (laughs) Psalm 88 is top shelf gloom and misery. So why in the world would such a miserable text be in our Bibles? What value does such a dark psalm have for our lives? What place should Psalm 88 have in the life of a believer? Well, brothers and sisters, what Psalm 88 does for us is it liberates us. It allows us. It gives us permission to keep it real. To keep it real. Y'all know what it means to keep it real, right? To keep it real is urban slang for being authentic, It means not covering up, not hiding. It means being raw and honest about our situation and being faithful to who we really are in our situation. And Psalm 88 shows us what it means for a believer to keep it real when life is dark and miserable. Specifically, it shows us what it means to keep it real with ourselves and what it means to keep it real with the Lord. First, it shows us what it means to keep it real with ourselves. Now, while this psalm is a prayer to the Lord, we shouldn't skate over the fact, the underlying fact, that the psalmist had to first come to terms with his own misery. He had to first keep it real with himself before being able to offer this heart-heavy prayer. So what was it that he had to keep real with himself? Look at the beginning of verse 3. He says, for my soul is full of troubles, full, filled to the brim with troubles. He is overwhelmed with distress, and it has filled his soul. Understand that in the ancient Near Eastern context, soul would have been understood as describing a person's whole being. So his whole life 
is full of troubles. And we begin to see in the next few verses just how deeply and widely this misery has penetrated his entire life. Look at the rest of verse 3. He declares, and my life draws near to Sheol, Sheol being the grave. Verse 4, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You see what the psalmist is doing? He's piling up the metaphors as he gropes in the dark for the right expression to adequately and honestly be real about his misery. He's lost strength. He feels like he's dying, literally. He even describes himself like a zombie. A zombie who, instead of being a dead person, come back to life, is a living person. As he says, going down to the pit, less loose among the dead, like someone with one foot stepping into the grave. His soul is full of troubles. His life is saturated with suffering. But understand, he first keeps this reality real with himself. There's no self-denial of his misery. There's no covering up the pain. He has ripped off the band-aids and looked squarely at the festering sore of his life. The psalmist has first kept it real with himself. Some of you know, I'm a cancer survivor. In November of 2007, newly married, senior in undergrad, I was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the fact that my cancer had already progressed to stage four before I wound up in a doctor's office meant that I had had this disease well before I had finally made the decision to go in and get it checked out. And you see, deep down, I knew something wasn't right. There, were, there was pain. There were, there were these symptoms. But what did I do? I ignored them. I tried to downplay them. I chose to ignore the problem. And if I had never finally gotten to the point where I looked myself in the mirror and said, there is something wrong with you. You need to go get that checked out. I might not be standing in front of you today. That's just an illustration of the danger and hopelessness of self-denial. Brothers and sisters, as believers, we will never find hope in our misery until we can keep it real with ourselves. Not to get too 12-step AA on you, but it's true. The first step is in finding hope in the valleys of life is to admit I'm in a valley. To admit I don't know what's going on. To admit that everything is not okay. I don't have it all together. To admit I'm miserable. To admit I hate my job. My marriage is crumbling. My kids are driving me crazy. To admit I have some secret sins that are weighing me down. To admit, like the song says, sometimes I feel like dying. Psalm 88 gives us permission to keep it real with ourselves as the first step towards finding hope in darkness. So I ask you this morning, what dark spots, what What valleys 
Have you tried your hardest to ignore or to convince yourself don't exist? What pain and trauma, what what fears have you tried your hardest to suppress, to paint over with success or academic achievement or with work or with exercise or food or drinks or sex or busyness or entertainment? What have you not been keeping real with yourself? The Lord has given us Psalm 88 as permission, permission to keep it real with ourselves so that we can be able to keep it real with him in our prayers. And Psalm 88 shows us several ways in which we can keep it real with the Lord when we experience these times of misery. First, it gives us permission To be desperate, desperate in our prayers to the Lord. Three times in Psalm 88, three times the psalmist calls out to the Lord. Look at verse 1 and 2. He says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. Then the second part of verse 9 He says, drop down, look there. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. And in verse 13, he says, but I, O Lord, I cry out to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. Notice that he repeatedly says, I cry out. This isn't just some passive pity party request. No, he's begging God to intervene. He's pleading with the Lord to act on his behalf. He feels like he's drowning in darkness, so what else can he do but cry out? And in verses 10 through 12, he asked the Lord a series of desperate rhetorical questions. Look at verse 10. He asked rhetorically, do you work wonders from the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or faithfulness in a badon? A badon being another name for the grave. Verse 12, are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? The psalmist is making it clear that he is teetering on the edge of death. His life is all but over and he is desperate Desperate for the Lord to answer him. Desperate for the Lord to heal and to save him. So he cries out. And again, this isn't some dignified prayer. The brother says in verse 9, I spread my hands towards you. You can imagine his arms overextended. His fingers spread wide, crying, sweating, screaming, begging the Lord to rescue him. He's desperate. Brothers and sisters, keeping it real with the Lord means being free to cry out in desperation. Cry out in your pain. Let the tears fall. Raise your voice. Scream if you have to. Amen. The Lord can handle it. He wants you to keep it real with him. 
But Psalm 88 not only teaches us that we can keep it real with the Lord by being desperate, it also shows us that we can keep it real by being brutally honest, honest with the Lord about our misery. And this brazen honesty is most evident in these you indictments in verses six through eight. Take a look at verse six. The psalmist begins saying, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy on me and you overwhelm me with your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. The psalmist is straight up honest with the Lord about his frustration, his frustration with him. And he reiterates his frustration in 15 through 18. He says, afflicted and close to death from my youth, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. And in verse 18, he declares again, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Now, it's not clear whether or not the suffering the psalmist is experiencing is actual punishment or wrath from the Lord or if it's just how his misery feels. Either way, what we should see is that he feels free to be totally honest. He feels free to completely pour out everything in his heart. I'm sure there are times in most of your lives when you struggle with this type of unabashed honesty in prayer. I know I do. Because if we're honest, there are times when we get angry with the Lord, yet we never talk to him about it. Let's just be real. Sometimes we can feel like God has completely turned his back on us. You feel like you've been faithful to the Lord, and all of a sudden, the bottom falls out on life. You wake up one morning, and there's a lump on your body where it shouldn't be. You go to your car, and it won't crank. You get a call at work that a loved one's been rushed to the hospital. All this on top of the fact that your spouse and you have barely talked in a week, and you're worn slam out from running on that performance treadmill at work. You just want to quit. You want to quit everything. You want to quit life. And deep down, you're frustrated, even angry at God. Because you feel like if he truly loved you, if you really were his daughter, if you really were his son, then he would not put you through all this mess. And yet up here, you know God doesn't owe you anything. And you know the theological truths about God's sovereignty and how he works everything for your good. But y'all know good and well that doesn't always make the hurt, make the pain, make the anger go away. Right? But brothers and sisters, Psalm 88 gives us permission to pour out all our hearts to the Lord. Even when what's in our hearts isn't necessarily politically correct. God knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in your heart. And he wants you to bring it all, to bring all your dirty, raggedy pieces of misery to him in prayer. 
You know, God is not like people. He doesn't have thin skin. He isn't waiting for you to get your words right, to to get your grammar correct before he listens. You're his child. You're his child. And he will never, ever, ever be offended by his children genuinely and humbly being honest about the hurt they feel. Even if they feel like that hurt has come directly from him. The Lord wants us to bring the mess of our misery into the place of his mysterious, glorious grace in prayer. Psalm 88 gives us permission to keep it real with the Lord as we've seen by being desperate, by being honest, and also by being determined, determined in our prayers. We see throughout this psalm evidence of the psalmist's determination in his supplications and prayers to the Lord. In verse 1, he says, he cries out all day and all night. He says in verse 9, every day I call out to you. And in verse 13, he says, in the morning, my prayers come before you. And if we stitch these three pictures of petition together, we get one panoramic view of an unremitting, undeterred clinging to the Lord in prayer. Every moment possible, this brother is on his knees crying to the Lord for relief, for healing, for hope, for misery. Get this, even though he feels like it's the Lord himself who is putting him through the ringer. Even though his misery is greatly due to the Lord not responding to his prayer, he still doesn't give up. He's determined. I ask you, in what ways have you lost your determination in prayer? What have you stopped praying about? Look, I remember when I was going through chemotherapy, I got sick of praying. I got sick of asking for him to take the pain, to take the chemo, the isolation, the depression, the darkness away. I got sick of asking for strength. I got sick of asking for courage. I bet some of you have had seasons like that. Maybe some of you are in a season like that right now. And we all will enter a valley of life where the dark is so unrelenting that we'll be tempted to say, why pray? What's the point? What's the use? We'll be tempted to think, ain't nothing going to change. God's not listening. Brothers and sisters, in those moments, please remember Psalm 88. Be encouraged by the psalmist's resolve to keep it real by staying determined to keep praying. Even when the Lord is painfully silent. But that's easier said than done, right? What was it that kept this psalmist so determined? What was it that kept him praying 
all day, every day, even though God was silent. Well, the psalm reveals to us that he remained determined because he remained confident. Confident that God is the God of his salvation. See, it's easy to look at a dark psalm like this and overlook the glimmers of light that it offers. But there is a piercing light that shines in the very beginning. When he begins this entire prayer with, O Lord, God of my salvation. God of my salvation. See, when the psalm is read in light of this opening line, we understand that his frustration is not because he doubts God's ability to act miraculously, but the opposite. He knows, he's confident that there is no other God that can save. There is no other God of his salvation, and he's confident that God has promised him salvation. He's confident that his only hope in life and death is the Lord. And it's for this reason that he agonizes over God's silence. Look, if I tell my oldest, Mackenzie, it's a microphone. If I tell my oldest, Mackenzie, that daddy is going to take you to get some frozen yogurt later. And I fail to tell her exactly when later is, that child will get on my nerves all day long. Daddy, are we going now? Daddy, I just took a nap. Can we go now? Daddy, I've been a good little girl. Can we go now? Daddy, when are we going? Are we going now, Daddy? Are we going now, Daddy? Are we going now, Daddy? If you don't know what I'm talking about, rent a five-year-old for an afternoon. And this will go on all day until I finally fulfill my frozen yogurt promise. Here's the point. If I had never made a promise to her that we were going to go get some frozen yogurt, then she would have never bugged me. If I had made a promise to her, but I had a track record of not keeping my promises, she probably would have ignored my promise. But because I did make a promise, and because I have a track record with my daughter for keeping promises, her constant questioning of when is not calling my ability or credibility into question. Rather, it's a sign. It's a reflection of her confidence and anticipation of the fulfillment of my promise. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is a promise-making And promise keeping God. And the psalmist knows this. And this is why he agonizes while he waits in the dark for the Lord's promises to be fulfilled. And as believers today, you and I know that God is truly a promise keeping God. In a way the psalmist didn't thousands of years ago because we know what he has done for us through his son, Jesus And so we, even more than the psalmist, can keep it real with the Lord in our prayers by being confident in the promise to one that he will one day rescue us, 
once and for all from all our misery. Sorry about that. You know what the Heavenly Father did for us? He made Psalm 88 the prayer of his son. You know what Jesus did? He was willing to allow Psalm 88 to be his prayer. Jesus took on utter darkness so that we might have hope in our dark moments. It was Jesus who kept it the realest with the Father and with us when he took the quantum leap from glory into the darkness of a fallen world for our redemption. Like the psalmist in verse 3, the Gospels tell us that Jesus' soul was full of trouble when facing the cross. Mark tells us that Jesus looked at his closest friends, his disciples, in those dark moments before his death and said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Like the psalmist, it was Jesus who cried out in prayer to the Father when facing his impending death. The Bible says that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the pressure of dying for the dark sins of this world was so heavy upon him that his sweat was like blood. And he cried out saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Like the psalmist, Jesus not only truly experienced abandonment by those he was closest to, his friends and family. Jesus truly experienced the darkness of abandonment by the Father when he absorbed the Father's wrath as he was being nailed on a cross to atone for your sins and for mine. Jesus demonstrated ultimate faithfulness in scenes of complete abandonment. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows our darkness because he experienced a midnight of darkness like we never will when he hung on that cross. And it's here at the foot of this cross that believers like you and me can gaze up in the darkness and see how the love and grace of God that seems so hidden in our misery has been stunningly revealed. It is here at the foot of the cross that we find an inexhaustible source of comfort in the dark. In the last line of Psalm 88, the psalmist says, My companions have become darkness. Brothers and sisters, we have hope in darkness because Jesus made darkness his companion. So that he might be our companion in darkness. 
He is our empathizing friend who sticks closer than a brother in darkness. Look, mom and daddy won't always be there. Your spouse, your siblings, your friends won't always be there the way that you need them. But Jesus, Jesus has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the one who has said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is our great high priest who cries out for us and who has opened a way for us to cry out freely to the father. And he is our savior. He is our hero who has promised that weeping may endure for a night. But joy, joy will come in the morning. He has promised that one day, one day, we will be rescued from our brokenness and the brokenness of this world and taken to a place that he has prepared for us where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more fighting, no more poverty, no more struggling, no more anger, no more hate, no more fear, no more sadness, no more wrong, no more bad, broke, busted, banged up, bruised, or battered, and no more death. Instead, it will be a place of overwhelming happiness and never-ending rest, of perfect joy and pure pleasure and peace in the presence of the Son, Jesus, the one who died to secure this promise for you. So, brothers and sisters, you have permission to keep it real. To keep it real with yourself so that you can keep it real. Keep it desperate. Keep it honest. Keep it determined in your prayers to the Lord. And this is only possible when we cling to the confidence that we have in Christ. And so no matter how dark and cold the nights get in this life, you can always have hope in the fact that you have a faithful friend in the dark who promises trouble won't last always. 